Welcome to Pushback, I'm Aaron Maté. Israel has unleashed a new wave of violence on the occupied Gaza Strip. And joining me to discuss is Ali Abunima, co-founder of the Electronic Intifada and author of The Battle for Justice in Palestine. Ali Abunima, welcome to Pushback. As we are speaking, the death toll in Gaza has reached at least 20. Talk to us about what's been happening over the last few days. Well, early on Tuesday, Israel carried out a completely gratuitous, unprovoked extrajudicial execution when it uh, bombed the home of Baha Abu Atta, a senior commander of the Islamic Jihad resistance uh, movement, uh, killing him and uh, his wife. And uh, this very predictably uh, prompted uh, retaliatory strikes from Palestinian resistance groups who fired rockets at uh, uh, Israel, uh, and uh, Israel has been pursuing its uh, attack on Gaza with uh, repeated uh, air raids that uh, up to the time we're speaking have killed 24 people according to the health ministry in Gaza and injured dozens more as well as causing a lot of property destruction and inflicting real terror on the two million people uh, effectively caged in the Gaza Strip, uh, particularly for children. Uh, that's something that uh, parents in Gaza talk about constantly, is just the utter terror that uh, their children experience. And uh, Israel also apparently uh, on Tuesday carried out uh, an attack on the home of another uh, Islamic Jihad uh, official in Damascus, Syria, uh, Akram al-Ajuri, it uh, did not kill him, but it, it did kill his son. And uh, there are reports that it also killed uh, a, a young girl and another person as well. So uh, Israel is really, as usual, uh, doing its best to inflame and provoke violence in the region and indeed inflict violence in the region. Why do you think they did it now? Well, we've seen this pattern in the past of there being a ceasefire efforts to reach some kind of uh, long-term stable situation and Israel gratuitously provoking uh, an escalation. This happened uh, in November of 2012, almost seven years ago to the day, when in a similar uh, calm or relatively calm, I suppose the media would call it, or ceasefire situation, Israel carried out the extrajudicial execution of Ahmed al-Ja'bari, a senior Hamas official, and that sparked a massive escalation in which Israel then killed 170 Palestinians, including uh, 100 civilians. We also saw Israel collapsing ceasefires in 2008 and 2014, just before its massive uh, attacks on, on Gaza. But in this particular case, so I mean, that's all to say there's a pattern here. But in this particular case, there are uh, a lot of uh, suspicions in Israel that uh, this really was uh, politically motivated uh, by Benjamin Netanyahu, because as you know, uh, Israel has held two elections this year, both inconclusive. The last one in September uh, resulted in, in basically a stalemate. Netanyahu tried to form a, a government and failed, 
Uh, and now the mandate has been passed to Benny Gantz, the former Israeli army chief who, who is the leader of the so-called Blue and White Alliance. And interestingly, just days before Israel carried out this attack on Gaza, Netanyahu had tweeted a statement from <clears throat> Ahmed Tibi, a senior member of the joint list, uh, which is a, a coalition of predominantly Palestinian parties in the Israeli parliament. And Ahmed Tibi had said that if Israel mounted a major operation in Gaza, this would kill the chances of the joint list supporting a government headed by Benny Gantz. So uh, many uh, well-informed commentators in Israeli media are saying that uh, this might have been a ploy by Netanyahu to sabotage Benny Gantz's chances of forming a government that could uh, uh, that could survive a vote of confidence in the Knesset. Hmm. Now, as far as I know, uh, Hamas has not joined with Islamic Jihad in responding to the Israeli attack. Uh, Hamas has not fired rockets, as far as we know. I recall something similar happening in an earlier Israeli assault on Gaza, I believe the one in 2014, when Hamas for a while tried to stop the rocket fire, but ultimately uh, the Israeli attacks continued. Uh, and then Hamas ultimately gave its uh, authorization to retaliate. Is it significant now uh, that Hamas has not so far joined in the response? I think what it means is that, uh, you know, Palestinians, neither Islamic Jihad nor Hamas, were looking for an escalation with Israel. Hamas has condemned its, uh, condemned the Israeli attack. It's given its support to uh, Islamic Jihad, the two movements generally work closely together and have a similar uh, approach. However, uh, I think what, uh, what it says is that, that nobody is looking for an escalation. Israel uh, provoked this. Israel chose uh, to escalate things. Israel chose that its citizens should be running for bomb shelters. Israel chose that uh, schools across the south of the country should be closed. That was not imposed on, on Israel. That was Israel's choice. And I think that um, Palestinian factions, especially Hamas, will be looking for a way to return to a ceasefire, but not at the price of, uh, of deterrence. In other words, they want Israel to know that if Israel... Uh, attacks Gaza, if it goes wild on Gaza, that they have the ability to impose some pain on Israel, not as much pain as Israel can inflict on Gaza by far, but their military strategy is deterrence. It's to tell Israel, you know, if you attack us, we can impose pain on you. But it is not an offensive strategy because both Hamas and Islamic Jihad know that uh, they don't have the military means to launch an attack and defeat Israel militarily. Their strategy is effectively defensive and deterrent. So I think Hamas will be uh, waiting to see if Israel uh, is willing to return to a ceasefire and is uh, willing to stop the attacks. If so, then, then uh, you know, that will happen. If not, then Hamas still has the option to join in the retaliatory strikes. I think in a very important uh, context here is that 
that Gaza, two million Palestinians in Gaza, are under permanent Israeli aggression by siege and blockade. Gaza has been under a tight blockade for 12 years, uh, imposing uh, intense suffering on the civilian population. That is a form of aggression. I know that you've talked on your on your uh, uh, show uh, many times about how uh, U.S. economic sanctions, whether it's on Venezuela or on Iran or other official enemies of the United States, are warfare against those countries, against their people and against their economies. Israel has been waging uh, similar relentless warfare against two million people in Gaza for 12 years. And every time there is a ceasefire agreement in which Israel uh, pledges to ease the siege, to let people in Gaza just have a little bit of oxygen, Israel drags its feet, Israel uh, doesn't implement it, or Israel comes up with new ways to impose collective punishment on people in Gaza. And, you know, then what is left? Uh, you, people are pushed towards some kind of, of resistance. And again, that's something that's never talked about. That critical context is, is never discussed on CNN or even the BBC, which only talk about Gaza when uh, rockets and missiles are flying. And what's also not discussed is the fact that for well over a year now, uh, there has been nonviolent resistance. Uh, every week, Palestinians taking part in the Great March of Return, marching for their rights. They've been met with uh, overwhelming Israeli force, Palestinians killed by sniper fire, uh, wounded, thousands of injuries, hundreds of deaths. The death toll includes uh, medics treating uh, civilians who were fired on. When you speak to your contacts in Gaza, Ali, what do they tell you about the global response or, or the lack of response, seemingly letting Israel continue to do this to kill people with impunity? Yeah, isn't it remarkable when you compare the uh, global outcry in Western media and from Western politicians to uh, what's happening in Hong Kong, where not a single person, thankfully, has been killed uh, by police uh, reacting to uh, the often violent uh, protests, which which we've seen, where uh, you know people are uh, attacked in the streets or uh, Molotov cocktails are used and uh, and so on, and compare that with the a complete silence. Uh, that prevails around Gaza, where more than 200 people have been gunned down by military snipers who have been sent to shoot men, women, and children uh, basically caged in a ghetto from hundreds of meters away, protesting across a fence because they're under siege and they just want to, to have a normal life. And uh, the UN inquiry, the independent uh, inquiry commissioned by the UN Human Rights Council that reported in February found that uh, in, in not a single case of these more than 200 people uh, killed, uh, was there anyone, you know, no one was armed, no case of an armed protester, uh, and uh, no case where anyone presented any threat to the heavily armed uh, troops, you know, in fortified positions across the boundary fence. And yet this continues week after week. More than 9,000 Palestinians have been injured with live ammunition during these protests. Uh, some 1,500 have suffered catastrophic limb injuries. Israel uses explosive bullets that destroy the entire limb. 
hundreds have uh, had limbs amputated and many more at risk because the healthcare system in Gaza can't cope. It, you know, the best healthcare systems in the world would struggle to cope with the kinds of catastrophic injuries that require complex surgeries and lengthy rehabilitation that Israel is inflicting, deliberately inflicting on uh, civilians in Gaza in order to send the message that you have the choice, which is to die quietly under siege or protest and be uh, shot and maimed or killed. So uh, we have, uh, we, I remember reading many times, you know, columns by the Tom Friedmans and the Nick Kristofs of the world uh, saying, oh, you know, if only those Palestinians would stage mass unarmed protests and, and, and do things correctly, then the world would stand with them. And I think a lot of people in Gaza see that that's not the case. But the message we're getting from people in Gaza is that we're going to continue protesting because we have no choice. What else can we do? Stay home and die? So people are, are continuing. And I think the question should be directed to, to, to all of us is what are we doing to uh, act in solidarity with them and amplify their voices so this horrific siege and the impunity that Israel enjoys uh, finally ends. Finally, Ali, um, as all this is happening, Palestinians are being deprived of their right to reach people uh, with information and to tell people about what's going on online, where on social media, Palestinian news outlets are being censored. You recently wrote about this at, at the Electronic Antifada. The Quds News Network, a Palestinian news source, had its accounts shut down by Twitter. This follows a few years ago, Facebook uh, was, being, uh, was following orders, basically, from the Israeli and U.S. governments to shut down certain accounts, uh, certain Palestinian accounts. Um, what is going on here? Well, that, that's a good question. But in a short answer, censorship. Uh, Quds News Network, uh, about a week ago, had all its Twitter accounts shut down, and they had close to a million followers. They were a vital news source for us, for journalists outside Palestine, to know what's going on on the ground. They were often reporting in real time. This is a really innovative uh, publication that actually started on Facebook and social media, young people reporting, uh, you know, getting news out very reliable. We found them to be extremely reliable. Uh, you know, they, they would have video, they would have the facts, uh, and, they, and they shared it uh, far and wide. They have their own website now, but most people uh, would uh, relate with them through uh, Twitter and Facebook. And what we've seen is uh, Facebook and Twitter systematically shutting down outlets like um, like Quds News Network, and doing this when it's when it's already hard enough to get information in real time uh, from from Palestine because of the absence of mainstream uh, media coverage. And I think this, uh, you know, this really is a is an indictment of all the people who um, indulged in the RussiaGate scam and fraud and claiming that uh, you know. Facebook helped Putin hack our election when there's zero evidence that a single vote was ever changed. But what that did was set the stage for um, social media crackdown, social media censorship in the name of fighting so-called disinformation. And what it does is first and foremost provide 
uh, existing media and political elites an excuse to uh, pressure social media companies to uh, shut down dissenting voices. And time and again, Palestinians are the first victims of that kind of censorship. And there's very little outcry. There's more outcry when, you know, uh, far-right figures like Alex Jones are censored or Richard Spencer, the Nazi, has his blue check taken away than there ever is for uh, hard-working Palestinian journalists risking their lives being shut down and censored by Facebook and, and Twitter for no reason. They're not given a reason. They're not told why. They just wake up one morning and their account is gone. And that's what happened last week to Quds uh, News Network. Ali Abunima, co-founder of the Electronic Intifada, author of The Battle for Justice in Palestine. Thanks very much. Thank you, Aaron.